I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. This is Tyler. I'm joined by Matt here, and we are going to get right into our Central Michigan discussion, I should say. Um, Obviously, a 61-0 route over the Chippewas. Pretty impressive win uh, by all parties, but uh, we'll get into it and try and uh, and analyze it a little bit more. But first, I was going to ask, Matt, I'm guessing you were at the game, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, and you were too, right? Yep, yep. It was nice to be back uh, at Camp Randall. I uh, admittedly stayed till jump around. I was one of those fans, and then I uh, got on the road <laughs> and got back to see uh, LSU Texas because I was really interested in that game. Um, but uh, it was awesome to be back. But what did you think about uh, your return trip uh, to the camp with with eighty thousand fans in at this time? Uh, it was great, and you know, it was it was cool. The student section was actually pretty full, considering they were playing. Uh, Central Michigan, you know, I would assume that next week, uh, in two weeks when Michigan's there, I think it'll be a little more full, but at the same time, like, I thought it was a pretty good turnout for that first game, and, you know, it was great. I thought the the coolest part was seeing the team actually jump. You know, I, I think that's something that they should do every time for jump around, but it was it was cool to see them out there and, uh, you know, spirited victory. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was it was it was great to be back, and yeah, like you said, I thought the student uh, section filled up pretty well, um, and hopefully with the eleven o'clock kick against Michigan, um, they'll be able to get there and fill that place up uh, pretty early. Um, so we'll get right into this. Uh, really, takeaways from from the sixty and one nothing win. Obviously, there's a lot to take away uh, on the impressive side, but what, what did you, what were your first uh, overall thoughts of of the Badgers win? You know, I I thought they really came out and played. You know, you always worry if they're going to sleepwalk when you're taking on a, a team that probably doesn't have as the depth and the talent that you uh, possess. But I thought Wisconsin came out and, you know, handled their business. I think uh, the tweet by – or, I mean, the, the quotes from McIlwain and some of the players probably didn't help <laughs> their case considering Chris Orr, uh, you know, the vocal leader of the team, was was uh, went to Twitter and was – pretty PO'd about it and so it was just good to see the defense just fly around and really make some plays and that defense just looks so much different than it did a year ago in terms of the depth and the amount of players that they can kind of you know put in different situations and that that's my biggest takeaway is that defense just looks nasty. Mm-hmm. They look they look a lot more like a like a Wisconsin defense is, is you know su- supposed to look. Um, I thought they were really impressive. I just think my overall impression was was the team just looked crisp, like you said. I, I was a little worried that they'd come out and sleepwalk, um, 
but every pretty much every facet of the game looked crisp and they looked ready to go. They looked well prepared, and you know obviously when going into a bye week, uh, outscoring your opponents 110 to nothing, there's not a lot to uh, to complain about. Uh, I I thought they were just a, a impressive overall, um, crisp, prepared, and uh, really not a lot to complain about. I think the biggest takeaway um, from an individual player was probably the play of Jack Cohen. I mean, what, it was 363 yards um, for him. And I, I was kind of thinking about it the other day um, and early this morning, but do you think this is the best passing performance we've seen since from a Wisconsin QB since Russell Wilson? Uh, I would I would have to think so. I mean, his stats are just crazy going. I mean, he's 78% passing for, like you said, 363 and three touchdowns. You know, he took that one sack, which I think he just didn't see the outside blitzer, something that he's got to he's gotta catch on. But then I, uh, I also went back and looked at uh, thinking about kind of the best quarterbacks that I remember, you know, because my family's been season ticket holders for a long time. And I looked back at Russell Wilson's stats, and he didn't even have a game where he threw for over 363 yards passing. And didn't have a game other than uh, the Minnesota game where he was 16 or 17, where he was 78% passing either. So I, it was one of those things where I was like, whoa, like that is a big-time play. And, you know, Cone looked really sharp in that game, and kudos to him for kind of shutting down some naysayers. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was really impressed with his game as well. I, I just think he he grabbed the offense by the horns. He looked really impressive uh, in, in reading his, his throws. Um, but yeah, passing performances, I would think it's the best one. Like you said, you know, Russell Wilson obviously had a stable of of guys that handed off, have hand the ball to, um, and he threw a lot in play action. But I've, I haven't seen such a dominating pass performance uh, from anybody that I can think of. I know Hornybrook maybe had that one that first game against Michigan State where he threw it really well, but. That's probably all we ever saw of Alex Yeah, that and, the, <laughs> that and that BYU game where he was, like, almost yeah. perfect in terms of yeah. not missing a beat. But, I mean, that that game was – it was telling of of uh, what Jack Cohn can bring. And it was what the media has been saying. Like, it wasn't a, ma- a matter of the other quarterbacks not showing up. It was a matter of Jack Cohn taking the bull by the horns and really taking over that quarterback competition. Oh yeah, absolutely. He, I think he silenced a lot of doubters with his game. And you know, people could say, "Oh, it was Central Michigan," but anytime you throw for 360 yards and you look look crisp doing it, you look efficient. Um, I, I think he proved that you know he's the QB one, um, and and I think he's earned that spot um, really well. The other QB and the other talking point that I wanted to get into on that was Graham Mertz's debut. What did you think of Graham Mertz and his uh, one drive? Uh, I think he only got the one from what I can remember. And uh, were you a little confused or were you surprised at all that, that they decided to, to decided to go with Graham uh, in, that, in that drive? I wasn't super surprised, but I thought I was surprised that they only had him out there for the one series and then they brought in uh, Chase Wolf. I thought that was kind of a little silly, but um, it was it was great to see him out there. You know, he had a good fall camp, especially at the towards the end those last couple weeks. But I mean, he he looked like the guy we had saw those last couple weeks, where he could move, move the team up and down the field. You know, he had to call a timeout there because of some stuff based off of just not knowing what he was seeing. 
But, uh, he, you know, he was able to really rifle the ball around. He showed off his arm strength. He showed his ability to scramble a little bit when he needed to, to extend a play. Um, you know, he almost fell that first uh, first pass he had, like the first snap out there. But other than that, I mean, he, he looked great. I think uh, he's a guy that I think if he does redshirt, like he said after uh, the – uh, post game in the post game interviews, I think that would be great for him because I don't see him overtaking Cone right now if Cone continues to play it the way he is. But I thought he looked good. I thought he looked like we wanted, you know, like you'd want a true freshman to play. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised by it. Not so much that he came in. I know people were worried about the four games and everything, but. You know, they still got three, and if you have Jack Cohn healthy, obviously you want him the rest of the season. And like you said, I don't see him overtaking him um, at this spot in the game. So I was I was a little surprised more so that they went uh, put him in and then and then went to Wolf. I know you're trying to get both of them snaps because they're the you know they're on the depth chart as as kind of a co backup. Um, but I thought he looked really looked really good um, for such a young kid. You know, anytime you're getting your first action, you know, in, at Camp Randall Stadium especially, you're going to be a little jittery and, and nervous. And you know, you you wouldn't be human if if you didn't get nervous. So I thought you know the throws he made, the plays he made, he, he's got that potential. Um, but like you said, I, I really do think uh, a, a redshirt year like he's, he's planning on having it in. Uh, would, would certainly benefit him, you know. Like he said in the in the post game comments, you know, he's fully planning on that. And from the sounds of it, I think he's okay with that. I think he knows that he's got some more things to learn, um, more things to to understand with the offense. But uh, overall, first impression, I I was I was happy with it. But like you said, just a little confused on why you're using him. I, you know, obviously I don't see him ta- overtaking Jack Cohn, so maybe you're just trying to work him into to four games. But uh, other than that. I thought his debut looked pretty good. So, Yeah, and I think the ultimate question would be kind of what happens if Jack Cohn got hurt or was out for a, a bigger amount of time now that you kind of know that they're both uh, bring something to the table that could help the offense, you know, between both Wolf and Mertz. Yeah, yeah, and that would certainly be an, an interesting topic to get into. And obviously we hope that Jack uh, keeps keeps healthy and keeps playing because, you know, so far what I've seen from him, I've been pretty impressed. You know, before that, before the Graham Mertz hype train, uh, Jack Cohn had a pretty big hype train. I think he's starting to show kind of why um, in his in his junior season. So, like I said, 61 to nothing is obviously impressive, but eventually you have to talk about something that maybe worried you. Was there anything of concern in, uh, in the 61 nothing win this week? Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to fault a kicker for missing a 51-yarder. Uh, I, I think that's that's a tough one. I mean, when you pair it with the the miss early on in the South Florida game, you know, it kind of looks a little a little rougher. But um, I thought that the offense would be able to run the ball more, even against them stacking the box. You know, eight or nine, uh, sometimes ten in there. It was they only ran for 199 yards and. Against the lesser opponent, I would have hoped that the offensive line just could have bullied their way for more. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor was in there late in the third quarter, so it wasn't like they were just running backups and backup offensive linemen uh, super late and that they just weren't moving it because of that. So I would I hope to see the offensive line kind of really jump on that bye week and really uh, – take it to planning for Michigan because they're going to be a whole different defensive line in front seven. 
Yep, yep. Those are the things that I had uh, written down, too. I, I think special teams in general, not only uh, Larsh's, you know, being one for three coming into the season, uh, or coming into the bye week, I should say. Obviously, the missed kicks have, have got to get cleaned up, uh, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But I also thought that uh, Lottie missed a couple punts and didn't kick the way he normally does. Normally, you see him, and he really booms the ball. And he had one, I remember, uh, specifically that was was a little short and looked a little off. Um, but you know he's experienced. He's a he's a been been a punter for a long time for Wisconsin. So I don't worry about him too much. And then I thought on the punt return, I, I know Dunn had one where he kind of misread that that could have gotten a little dicey. And obviously he's against Central Michigan. Um, you can you can make those kind of mistakes. But overall, I think the only thing that they really do need to clean up uh, is the special teams. And then like you said with the offensive line, I, I wrote that down too. I didn't think they were as dominating in the run game as they were in uh, against South Florida. And I don't know, it could be a mixture of things of just wanting to get Jackson throws um, and focusing on the pass game, or it could just be that uh, th- that they weren't as crisp and didn't have their best week. But like you said, with, with a Don Brown defense coming in uh, to Camp Randall in, in a few short days, uh, that's something that they'll have to be have to be a lot better at. And, you know, you, you got a lot of good fronts as you get into Big Ten football, you know, with Michigan, Michigan State's, Front seven looks incredible, and uh, Ohio State's defense looks pretty good. And you're going to have to run the ball against those teams to come out with a win. So, yeah do you do you think uh, the game plan was to throw the ball more? Just because I know that Central Michigan's corners were one of the weaker spots on their defense, or do you think it was just kind of taking what the defense was given the Badger offense? Yeah, I was wondering about that too. I you know I wrote our, my keys to victory post uh, earlier in the week, and I. I I said that, you know, they should throw the ball in the game plan. Obviously, I'm not Paul Chris, but coming into it, that's what I kind of thought they would do. But it also, it, it seemed to work so well that I think it was a mixture of both where they saw, you know, they saw that they could really throw it well. And they said, you know, if we don't have to lean on the run game and, and burn too many Jonathan Taylor carries, maybe let's just throw the ball and get Jack some confidence. So I would think it was a little bit of both. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I, I... I think I think it, I'm sure they wanted to throw the ball a little more. I'm guessing they didn't plan to hey throw the ball for 400 yards, but I mean if you can do it, I think it's great. Um, you know he threw it 33 times, which is an awful lot. We didn't we don't normally see that, but I think it's also indicative of the trust they have in Cone. So I really hope that you know he continues to show the composure and and the control of the offense because there's going to be I think other games. I'm especially thinking about a team like Michigan State where you said their front seven is looking ridiculous, or Ohio State where you're going to have to throw the ball and lean on Jack. And if he can put up a performance like he just did, I think you're you're okay with that, you know. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that was – I was thinking it was, it was a little bit of both. And like you said, they're, they're going to have to lean on him a little bit more. Um, but so far, you got to be confident if they decide to lean on him and they have to that – He's going to make throws. I feel a lot more confident um, with Cohen going into those, you know, tough defensive games with those teams. A lot more confident this year than I felt, you know, when when Alex Hornibrook was going up against those teams where you were scared to throw the ball. Um, now I'm, I'm I'm not scared to throw the ball. I wouldn't say I'm I'm super confident that we're going to go out and air raid offense, but I'm pretty confident <laughs> in the Badgers' yeah. ability um, to go down the field uh, with, with Jack and in, in, in the passing game. So, other than that, you know. It's sixty-one nothing win, um, so there's really not a, a ton to talk about. And obviously, with an early bye week, where we're just kind of 
grasping for straws on, on what to critique, but uh, overall I think it was a it was a great win for Wisconsin. So, all right, and now we're gonna go to a quick ad read, um, and then we're gonna get into some around college football talk, recap a little uh, Big Ten stuff uh, and, and some national stuff, and, and show see who we thought was impressive and uh, what we think uh, as the college football season rolls on. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, and now we're going to get into some around college football talk, our little college football landscape, and we're going to start, firstly, uh, with the Big Ten. We had a lot, of, a lot of good wins for the Big Ten in the first two weeks. I think they've looked pretty strong as, as a conference as a whole. Um, coming into right now, who is your top three teams after the first two weeks and, and so many teams having impressive wins? Uh, I would. I still have to put Ohio State at the top. I think the weapons that they have – uh, on offense and defense, you know, if, I mean, top top ten NFL draft type talent is still the most in the Big Ten. Uh, and then for your for the second, I'm going to put Wisconsin as team number three. Um, and then I'm excited to see both Penn State and Michigan State this weekend because whichever one of those looks more crisp at this moment or this weekend, I would slot in at number two because. Both of those teams have had moments where they've looked really good, but they've actually got a test this weekend. Penn State taking on Pittsburgh at home, and Michigan take Michigan State taking on Arizona State. I think one of those two teams, whichever one kind of wows a little bit more, uh, should pop into that second place. Um, so I know it's kind of weird putting both of those as the, the two team, but I'm saying whichever one of them looks better, I'm going to take that team just ahead of the Badgers at this moment. What about you? Yeah, I would agree. I think Ohio State is is clearly the number one team, and I don't really think that's changed. I kind of had them as my number one team coming into the the Big Ten season, and obviously, when you dominate uh, the way you did against a pretty good Cincinnati team, you know, you forty two to nothing, um, just rolled rolled the Bearcats. So I think they're clearly uh, the number one team. Justin Fields looks like he can pretty much do whatever he wants, and the defense looks pretty scary. Um, I, their their defense looks a lot better than they did last year. And then uh, in the number two spot, I would agree with you. I thought about Penn State, but right now I'm going to go with Michigan State uh, just because their defense is scary good. Um, Kenny Willekes in that front seven um, they are just dominating. They're leading the uh, nation with an, an average of negative three yards per game on the ground. Uh, thankfully, Wisconsin is number two right behind them in that category. Um, but right now the Spartans, if they get things figured out against uh, or with the offense like they did against Western Michigan – I think they could be a really scary team. Um, and then uh, number three, I don't think it's by a, a big margin, but I do have the Badgers at number three. Uh, if you're outscoring your opponents 110 to nothing, you're clearly doing something right. Uh, and I think they've looked more impressive and you know gotten on a lot of people's radars in the national uh, rankings. So right now I have those three uh, as my top three. And after that, things get a little dicey. Obviously, you've got Michigan. Who, who struggled against, granted, a pretty good Army team. Um, and then you've got Maryland, who's, who's averaged, I think, 71 points a game. So there's a lot of 
a lot of good teams in the Big Ten, and I think it just speaks to the uh, the conference's depth so far the season. Yeah, especially especially the Big Ten East. I mean that that side has kind of flexed its muscle so far. There's been a couple teams who we thought might be better on in the West Division who have kind of taken some L's, but uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how those teams bounce back and what it looks like when everybody gets into conference play. Oh, yeah, and I think uh, some teams are getting started in in conference play uh, this week, so it'll be a nice little test. I know Ohio State has to go to Indiana, which is always kind of a weird place to play uh, for those big teams. So certainly as the season gets going, it's only week two, but you're, you're starting to get some data points and some things you can you can look into as these teams uh, get rolling. Going off of that, which team, because the Badgers have all of them on the schedule, but we're going to focus on the state of Michigan, which Michigan team concerns you more in the coming weeks, Michigan or Michigan State? So it's it's going to sound weird that I put Michigan State right now as the number two team in terms of uh, a potentially the number two team in the Big Ten ahead of Wisconsin, but I actually think Michigan's the one that concerns me more. Uh, the reason being is Wisconsin's coming off a bye week, Michigan's coming off a bye week. Wisconsin has had so much momentum going, and to have a bye week in that kind of can really derail you or slow you down a little bit and take some time to get back. So I I think uh, there's a potential there for Michigan to kind of come out fast, you know, after coming out so slow the first couple games. So I would say I'm a little more worried about Michigan. Uh, I think Michigan also has a deeper set of talent than Michigan State uh, from top to bottom. So I'll just go with Michigan. What do you think? Yeah, I was kind of tossing it back and forth. You know, I I really like what Michigan State has on the defensive side, but obviously they've had their offensive struggles um, in, you know, last year and in the first week this season, but they looked really good um, against a pretty good Western Michigan team. So to me, I think the jury is still a little bit out um, on uh, Michigan State. So I'd still probably go with Michigan too, just because I think they have the talent to where once they once that really gets clicking and turned on that, they could they could get scary. Um, they, you know, they still got Shea Patterson. They've got Nico Collins and and Peoples Jones and some other weapons. And then defensively, they still have you know Don Brown as their defensive coordinator, um, who other than Ohio State last year has has had that unit pretty solid. Obviously, it benefits that we get them both at home. Uh, but right now, I still give the slight edge to being more worried about Michigan. Um, I know people are reading into the Army struggle, you know, double overtime win against them, but Army's Army's a tough team to play, and, and I would still say they're probably a top 35 team in college football. I, I think people see Army and they think they're worse than they are, but Army won 11 games last year, so they're still a pretty good team and, and they're tar- hard to play. So Michigan off of a bye week, like you said, uh, definitely gives me uh, some concern, but I'm I'm a little bit more confident coming into that game than I than I was to begin the season. So it's not it's not all you know not something you got to worry about as much. So yeah, how totally. about how about um in in the grand scheme of, of college football? Obviously, we're two weeks in now. Um, who's impressed you uh, the most over the first two weeks? You know, I I knew LSU had a terribly hard schedule this year, having to play. Texas, and then ha- also later on having Florida, Auburn, Alabama, and and uh, A&M all later on in the season. But they've really jumped out so far. You know, they've 
averaged 50 points a game. This past weekend, beating Texas kind of the way they did, Joe Burrow looking so good uh, and more composed from a year ago. And their offense has so many weapons on the outside. They had three wide receivers go for over 100 yards. Burrow throw for 470 or something like that. I mean, they they have all the pieces on offense and defense to be a really good team. And I think they're a team that has really jumped out. Now, I don't know if they're going to be a college football playoff team just because of that really hard schedule, but they're a team that shouldn't be slept on after kind of rolling through their first two opponents. Uh, yeah. What's a team that jumped out to you? Yeah, I was going to say LSU as well. Um, I mean, Joe Burrow just made it look so easy in the, in the 471 yards. Um I just he he looked completely poised like he had nothing to worry in that and uh, when he dropped back to pass um, and he, you just don't see that kind of like you don't see a 363 yard performance from a Wisconsin QB you don't normally see a, a 471 you know yard output from an LSU quarterback so if they can click you know that way uh, on offense they're they're going to be really hard to stop um, I don't remember if they play at Alabama or if, I think it's at Alabama this year. Um, so they still have that, and like you said, they still have a tough schedule. Um, but they they looked impressive, and you know they still gave up they gave up 38 points, but that was with uh, rotating a lot of guys in because a lot of their star defensive players like Grant Delpit were were cramping up and and uh, having a hard time uh, staying on the field and staying hydrated with that heat. Um, but after LSU, I was actually going to say one of our Big Ten teams, uh, uh, Maryland, two and zero. Averaging 71 points per game. I know the first one was against Howard, but the second one was against uh, Syracuse, who was in the top 25. Now, granted, I don't think Syracuse is a top 25 team right now. I, I think they've looked bad both of their weeks. But not a lot of expe- expectations for Maryland uh, coming into the season. So to see them start this way um, was impressive uh, for me as well. So Yeah, and I think Ohio State's really jumped out too. They've played all over those teams. I mean, granted, the competition hasn't been great. I do think Cincinnati is a solid team. I don't think Cincinnati is going to like pull the doors off anybody of uh, Ohio State's caliber. But at the same time, the way they've looked on offense uh, is is just like untouchable. And then their defense just looking a lot better than a year ago. Um, and then another team that's a little below the radar was Cal. You know, they're 2-0, and and I don't think a lot of people had pegged them for a team that was going to go super, super well thought of bowl. And, you know, as of right now, they've beaten Washington uh, on the road. You know, it's a tough place to play. And so I think Justin Wilcox has got that group looking like they could be into a bowl that's a lot better than uh, the, the early season predictions thought. Yeah, no, I would agree. I had them written down, too, as, you know, especially to, to overcome some adversity. They had that long delay. Um, I don't know. Did you stay up for that whole game? Did you watch No, I watched, I watched a good chunk of the middle part of it, and then I was just like, all right, I can't, I can't keep this going. Yep, yep. I was fighting it. I fell asleep during uh, part of the delay, um, and uh, I woke up actually right towards the end, so I was able to catch the end. But, yeah, I think it was like 3 o'clock that it got done, and I was like, man – so, but but that's tough to 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 wait that long on the road in a, in a tough environment. You know, Husky Stadium is a tough place to play. Um, so I was pretty impressed with with Cal too. If they can if they can get their offense rolling, obviously we've seen Justin Wilcox firsthand what he can do with the defense. So um, the Cal Golden Bears are, are in a pretty good spot uh, compared to the rest of the Pac-12, who's who's kind of had uh, 
you know, taking their beatings a little bit with Oregon losing already and uh, obviously Washington going down. So two of their big horses already have a loss, uh, which which certainly hurts them when they were already behind the eight ball, you know, in the in the college football playoff discussion. So going off of that, being disappointing, uh, kind of like the Pac-12. Which team has been the biggest disappointment in college football for you? Um, I would probably say that Tennessee is like the easy one to kind of pick just because while they're not like a top 25 team to have lost uh, against Georgia State and then BYU, that's a not a great look. But I'll go Miami. Uh, you know, I once again, another team that I didn't think was going to be going for, uh, you know, the national championship hunt or going to be in a fringe, you know, BC, uh, you know, top, top bowls, but at the same time lost to Florida in a game that they should have just won. They, they fell apart. They, they basically handed that to Florida and then to lose to North Carolina. It's, that's not a great start for Manny Diaz there. Um, what teams jump out to you? Yeah, I had them written down. Um, I bet on Miami this past week. And, you know, I've been very, I've been really low on North Carolina, so they were a disappointment both uh, on the field and in my pocketbook, uh, causing me to lose that bet. Um, but after that, I would say uh, UCLA. I don't know what's going on with the Bruins, but they have looked uh, brutal in their first two weeks. Um, in you know, like you said, Tennessee is a, is one that you could say, but I think Tennessee Tennessee still has something going. Um, they, they recoup pretty well, and, and the fans, you can tell, are passionate because, yeah, they're upset, but at least they're showing like they care. Uh, out in UCLA, I mean, if you if you saw any of their game this past week, there was hardly anybody there at the Rose Bowl. And, you know, obviously, they're in Southern California. There's a lot of other fun stuff you can do than, than go watch a bad football team, but, but they didn't uh, – they didn't really show anything, and, and it's just kind of confusing, you know, what Chip Kelly's really going for. They've looked really bad in their first two weeks, and uh, they don't get an easier test this week because they've got uh, Jalen Hurts and uh, Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma uh, coming to them. So yeah. Things, yeah, it's, things look it's like they could a, be dicey. Yeah, they're, they've been just kind of a train wreck lately, and he's trying to change kind of the way they're doing recruiting and all sorts of stuff that kind of makes you scratch your head. So. I don't know what's going on there, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get to bowl eligibility after a really slow start. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tremendously slow start, and I remember I was reading a lot of preseason stuff. People were expecting a lot more, so it's kind of still a surprise. You know, they they have a lot of returning players, but you know maybe those players just aren't that good. I saw something today that they were um, actually giving away tickets to, uh, anyone who came to the, the loss last week against San Diego State. They were given free tickets to come back this week. So things are, uh, <laughs> when That's you got rough. Oklahoma coming to the Rose Bowl, you shouldn't be having to give away tickets. So, uh, things are not looking good, uh, there in Southern California, um, for the Bruins. I guess, uh, USC has looked pretty good, but, uh, their cross-city uh, counterparts have struggled. And the other one I was going to say was Florida State. Obviously, they, they squeaked out their win, but it took a, a missed extra point against UL Monroe and then obviously to blow that lead week one against Boise State. But uh, you could really say uh, any of those four teams, and, and uh, you wouldn't be wrong, and I wouldn't argue with you because they're, they're, uh, they're a tough group uh, going into this season, and I think it's going to be a long season for, for all four of those teams that we mentioned. So. Definitely. 
All right. Well, that kind of wraps up the uh, college football talk uh, in the landscape. Obviously, we, we focused on that a lot last week, so we didn't want to get it too much. And obviously, we've got a week three slate that's a little weak. Not a ton of games uh, jump out to me uh, for this week. And with the Badgers off, I'm going to maybe focus on some other stuff this weekend, but we'll see. Um, now yeah, gonna... a lot, a lot more under the radar games. Sorry, yeah, but a lot, yeah. a lot of under the radar games that could be sneaky good and kind of fun to watch, but nothing to where it's like, oh, big powerhouse is going at it. Yeah, and that's the thing with these with these week slates where you know you you say, well, maybe I can do something else uh, on my Saturday and get something else out of it. Those weeks end up being the craziest weeks where you'll have upsets and just wacky things happen. Um, so I, I'm not going to discount the, uh, the the card entirely, but uh, on paper, there's some uh, there's some weak ones, but yeah, like you said, under the radar and, and interesting ones that will probably end up being crazy, and you'll it'll be can't miss television. But uh, we'll see uh, on Saturday. So now we're gonna kick it to uh, a quick ad, and then we're gonna get joined up with uh, Jake Kokorowski. I think I said that right. Yep. I'm always wondering if I say it right. <laughs> so. Uh, we're going to have Jake on the show, uh, obviously the former host of this podcast. He's going to uh, dive into some stuff with the Badgers, talking you know, offensive stuff so far, defensive stuff so far, um, and, and kind of get into stuff as we try to, to, try to fill some time uh, and entertain you guys during this bye week. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're now welcomed by the former host and uh, writer and uh, king of this uh, B5Q website, Jake Kogorowski, and I was talking to Matt earlier. Um, I pronounced the last name right, didn't I, Jake? Yeah, yeah, you hit it on the head there. Awesome, awesome, because I was always worried about that. I was always, I've never looked so closely at it, and I was like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm saying it right. Uh, so, obviously, Jake is uh, familiar with this podcast, and now... Uh, is there anything that you want to plug with the with your new stuff that you got going on at all, Jake? Uh, I mean, you know, walking back around here, like you know, things look good in this podcast. The proverbial thing I'm walking through, like it's like going through my old house. Uh, you sell a house, you go back through it, you know, a little while later, and like what you guys have done to the place, if you will. So, uh, but no, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, that's part of BadgerBlitz.com now. Of course, part of the Rivals Network. And just really happy to be a part, uh, be back here talking with you guys. Well, we we appreciate you uh, uh, joining back up with us. Obviously, you guys kind of got this podcast off the ground, and obviously Jake is a tremendous uh, follow for all Badger news, as as anybody who's listening to this or uh, read this probably knows already. So uh, what we were going to do for this segment um, was really just uh, go over some, some more, more so some fun questions uh, and get into some Badger stuff. Um, 
But it is a bye week, which which kind of sucks because the Badgers and, and the fans were getting excited, and the Badgers were definitely starting to build so some momentum. Um, but we're going to go non-football to start, and I wanted to ask both Matt and Jake: uh, Is there any certain uh, favorite bye week activity that you like, you guys like to get done, um, or go do when you don't have to worry about the Badgers at all? I'll start with Jake. Ah, catch up on chores, which that's just that's just dad life. Let's be honest, right? It's Grant. I haven't even had a chance to do that because we've been busy on Badger Blitz with the commitment of James Thompson, uh, the three-star 2020 defensive end. So we were busy getting a hold of his defensive coordinator, uh, Solomon Tentman, and then uh, then we were doing our podcast last night, and James actually said, "Hey, I'll be a part of it," and said, "Okay." So we had an impromptu guest uh there so it was busy uh and on that note so i haven't really dug into the chores yet but um with, with the storms that came through the madison area actually i have to like chop down a tree or at least trim a significant limb because there's some major storms and the wind all around our neighborhood um, there are branches down and there's this one right next to our lot that it's behind the fence but the problem is it is, is that it can hang over and it's good part of it is just hanging and it's just severed and it looks bad and so I gotta do that and I just gotta catch up on everything in the household, man. Like it just doesn't end. Yeah, Jake Kozkarowski, yeah. lumberjack, lumberjack, cutting down <laughs> trees. <laughs> Become um, a man of many trades when you own a house. It's terrible. Oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, it's great, but it's also just all right. Up. Time to change the screen door. Dog ran through it again. All right, let's go. Roll tide. You know, you start uh, <laughs> get all that all done. But anyways, I digress. But I think, I, honestly, though, I like getting caught up because the rest of this year, there is a second bye week, and you know, so that's going to be good for mm-hmm. for me to kind of catch up. But, you know, it's going to be nonstop for most of the, you know, the rest of the season, and there's a lot to talk about with Wisconsin on that end, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Matt, what about you? Anything you're looking forward to getting uh, trying to get done on Saturday? Yeah, I'm kind of with Jake. Uh, a lot of house stuff. Um, you know, we've been in our house for about a year, and so there's just kind of there's always little projects here or there to work on. Um, you know, I just mowed the lawn a little bit ago, trying to get it before these storms hit that over the next couple of days. And um, but yeah, just little things like that. Uh, and then obviously try to belly up and watch as much TV as I can with uh, college football going on, especially that I think if they're like. Three three o'clock window. There's a couple of good games on uh, this weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you guys are in that uh, that owning a house uh, spot in your life. So I'm still I'm still renting. So I just have to uh, call somebody if I need something done. So that's still kind of nice. Um, but uh, there's definitely some pains with that. Like uh, hearing uh, the bars down below me. Uh, I live in downtown Dubuque, so I hear bars every hours of of the day and you can hear the music thumping through the floors so i guess there's some trade off there but <laughs> let's get into some uh, some actual football uh the important stuff and really you know with two weeks down and going to the bye week we don't have a lot to go off of but we have enough uh to kind of see where this team's starting to trend and uh so i i kind of wanted to open up and just say I was going to ask who is your offensive MVP, but you know, obviously it, that's not really you know so much the best player, but who who brings the most value and really helps this offense go? What do you think, Jake? I mean, I think it's still to make this offense go. I think it's still Jonathan Taylor. And I, I mean, in terms of it, you've seen what he's done: eight total touchdowns, five rushing, three through the air. Teams are honing in on him, and despite. I mean, he's gotten over 100 yards both games, but 
it's one thing, you know, and I know that their numbers aren't necessarily gaudy or or stand out in terms of just how, you know, a 200-yard performance to start the year or a 300-yard performance, but that's why he's still the MVP in my book because teams are, are locking in on him. And, but, and you've seen the results of that where now the passing game is starting to take off and, and you've seen what Jack Cohn has done. You've seen, you know, I mean, Cohn can be a contender for that. You've seen, obviously, too, Quintess Cephas who through two games leads the team in receptions and receiving yards, and I don't think I've ever thought – I did not think that would be happening to start the beginning of the year and look where we are now. But I think it all goes back back to Taylor because teams are locking in on him, and yet he still had 200-yard games to start the season, eight total touchdowns. He's was it once every five five attempts that are five right. touches. He's scoring a touchdown. So uh, I'll go with the easy route and, and say Taylor for the moment. I think uh, Taylor is probably the the guy, but if if I had to pick somebody, I'd probably go Cephas. Just you know, I think kind of like Jake was saying that he we didn't expect to have him almost to 200 yards receiving by this point. It's been kind of crazy to to watch kind of where he's at going at going ahead with 169. Yards receiving, two touchdowns. You know, he had a couple opportunities that first game as well. If if they could 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 have connected on those deep tosses, and just teams have to really focus in on kind of what he brings. I talked a little bit about it in uh, my three things we learned this past week, but there was that play where Jonathan Taylor got his receiving touchdown, where the deep the multiple defensive backs were just clued in on. Cephas running uh, like post corner, and it led to just clearing out space for Taylor on that game. He's on pace for almost a thousand or for a thousand yards if he keeps going. Something that hasn't been done, and I want to say the last time somebody did it was Aberderis. So I mean, he's 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 the guy in my book, but I think Jonathan Taylor is also uh, no doubter as well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, both of them. You know, bring so much to the offense and obviously Taylor's done it for the last couple of years and and ran you know so well and despite defenses keying on him um is still is still doing things and putting up huge numbers so I'd still have to go with Taylor but Cephas is definitely I would say if you if you poise the questions as as the biggest difference maker from last year's team it, it's certainly him because like you said uh, you know like you both touched on n- none of us really expected to even have him with the team um but especially to be producing at a high level um, and week two is is pretty tremendous uh, for this offense, and we, I think we've seen that uh, so far. Switching gears on the from the offensive side, Jake, what do you think about the defensive side? Who has been uh, the biggest standout for you? When it comes to that, uh, I'll go with Zach Bond. I think it's that pass rush. Uh, you saw in the Central Michigan game, it seemed like the Chippewas were trying to get the Chips were trying to get something going. And on that third down, he comes off the edge. Your running back does not pick that up, and he you know bowls over the quarterback for a huge loss, forces a punt, and then Wisconsin goes from there and and, and just absolutely routes Central Michigan. So, I, I the biggest question that we've had when it comes to Wisconsin this year, like for me heading into fall camp, was how are they going to replace the production of Andrew Van Ginkle and Bond played well last year. He's still knocking off the rust from missing all of 2017. But for Wisconsin to and that defense to be back to that 2017 mold, they need pass rush. And you saw a little bit from Jack Sanborn. 
uh, against Central Michigan. Matt Henningsen had a sack against South Florida. But Bond's been consistent in that end. And, you know, of course, you saw what he did with the strip sack against Central Florida, or not Central Florida, South Florida, that led to the Henningsen touchdown. So, really, I think it's him. Uh, though I will say I do like what I've seen. I mean, it's hard to say throughout the entire secondary. I don't know if I can give the secondary an entire award, but they've sure. also been locked down too. But uh, if you're going to single out somebody, and just because of the need, the glaring need for just pass rush and to create some havoc, I'll go Zach Bond. Yeah, I think the I think the defensive you know pass rush was probably going to be the key to as far as this group went, and so I would have to agree with you, Jake. Uh, Zach has obviously been tremendous, and as they get uh, you know either whether it be Noah Burks on the other side or Isaiah Green May, you know, I think he'll really draw so much attention that'll help hopefully uh, open things up for those younger guys that are trying to get experience. Matt, who who have you liked on the defensive side uh, as your MPP so far? Yeah, I was I was going to say Bond, too, for a lot of the same reasons that Jake has covered. Um, so just for the sake of being a little different, I'll, uh, I'll say I'll hedge a little bit and go Matt Henningsen and Isaiah Loudermilk. I think the two of them kind of have done so in different ways. Henningsen with, obviously, the sack and the fumble recovery for a touchdown or pick six, or I know he wants to say it's a pick six, but it's really a fumble or whatever. Um, and then he's, I mean, he's got like four tackles, but then... Isaiah Loudermilk being healthy, he had that he had that knockdown pass. He had a uh, I think it was a fumble fourth, yeah, fourth fumble as well. So I mean, he the the front seven just looks so much better in terms of being able to kind of being stout against the run. And I think having a guy who's six seven, three hundred pounds, and having um, a third defensive end like Matt Henningsen, who's so talented and gained a lot from last year has been huge for the defense. So I would say kind of hedging those two. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all great answers. Um, Chris Orr is another one that I had written down just because I think he's he's kind of the leader of that defense with Bond. And, you know, he was banged up a little bit with his ankle against Central Michigan. But I think he just gives the defense that energy and is kind of that key piece that gets them rolling. Um, but really, after two weeks, all three of those guys are – are good answers, but I, I would think Bond is the leader in the clubhouse right now, just because of the, the sacks and you know the forced fumble and just the the presence and something that the Badgers lacked so much last year. So, all right, we've talked MVPs, so let's talk a little bit about who might be under the radar. Is there any certain player that maybe we haven't seen a lot from yet, or or maybe we've seen a little bit, um, but somebody who might come on strong uh, as the season gets rolling? You know, I think Nakia Watson, that he's gotten a little bit of time. If you're looking on the offensive side of the ball, I think, obviously, he's had a touchdown in both games. So, But I think with the Big Ten schedule and just them needing a compliment to Jonathan Taylor, I think he's he's a nominee there. I would even say, I mean, even a guy like Danny Davis might be in my book where he he's made some catches. You know, he had was it four receptions last week for 46 yards. He moved the chains. They had him on the slant pattern all day. Uh, I rewatched the game today. So on, I think you know those two could be two candidates on the offensive side of the ball for sure. What about on the defense? Anybody in particular that you like that could be uh, under the radar? I think Colin Wilder just because of the injury to Scott Nelson. I think that's what really they're gonna probably use more three safety looks uh with without nelson it's there's a versatility with nelson you saw him almost in, in i read owen reese's um 
film work on Bucky's with Corey talking about how Scott Nelson basically looked like a 4-3 will linebacker, and he was in the box there you know, during that three-safety look because they trusted Pearson and they trusted Eric Burrell. So, uh, But now with Nelson out, I think Colin Wilder, who had an interception uh, against South Florida later in the game, I think you've seen his reps starting to get up there. And I think in that, for that defensive backfield, you see how in the past couple of years you've seen Dakota Dixon be injured, uh, among others, you know, in that position group. Scott Nelson last year, too. And you had a, you had a walk-on redshirt senior and Evan Bondock have to step up, and you saw how Burrell had to step up. And for a game, Pearson looked great against Michigan until he re-injured himself. So, uh, you know, I think that position needs to be stay deep. And even with Madison Cohn, uh, bumping up in the two deep, two deep, and you saw him uh, getting some work in the slot. Um, I think you know that safety group needs the players that are game ready, and that not just game ready, but that can hold up against the rigors of the, the conference. And I think they do have that with with Wilder, and I would say even Cone too. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I think both of those are are, are good answers. Uh, Matt, what about you? Who do you um, think is someone under the radar on either side of the ball? Um, on offense, I was kind of thinking the same type of thing. I wasn't going to go Danny Davis, but instead Jake Ferguson. He was a guy who got a lot of targets last year, and I know he's kind of dealing with that thumb injury, but I think as teams start to key a little bit on some of the wide receivers, he can just make a killing on some of those deep out routes and uh, crossing routes that he's done so well. Um, and then on defense, I think Jack Sanborn, you know, he's he's got six total tackles so far, uh, but it's he hasn't played that much. Him and Chris Orr haven't really been called upon to play in a whole lot, whole lot of like meaningful minutes. They've been kind of out giving way to uh, Leo Chanel and Mikey Mascalunas. Um, so I think with when you get steeper competition, he's a guy who could really kind of flash. Um, and then I totally agree with Jake when, in terms of the safeties, both Wilder and Madison Cohn. Um, Cohn, I think, is going to have a, a better shot to make more of an impact just simply because he's in that slot a lot as well. Um, when they go three three safeties, he can kind of bounce between being a safety and in the slot. So he's a guy that I know uh, this coaching staff's always been high on, and you know he can make plays, uh, especially in that slot area. Yeah, I think all those are ones are, are good answers. The one I was going to say was Keanu Benton. I don't know if I said his first name right, but for such a freshman, what do you guys, uh, Jake? What do you think of of him? That, you know, being so young and but strong on the on the defensive line. I mean, when you take a look at what he's done and having to step in, I, I didn't know how quickly he could step up because of not enrolling early. Like Bryson Williams mm-hmm. last year, he enrolled in spring or in the spring semester of 2018, and he he stood up to the challenge pretty well in his first year. So, but you know, you see what Benton's doing, and I'm looking at Pro Football Focus right now with with some premium stats. Right, he's taken, you know, played in two games. He's played 34 total snaps, and his overall grade right now is an 81.3. So, the and you saw him do some things in fall camp that, you know, and Jim Leonard mentioned too, where you know the wrestling background's helping. Uh, and he said, you remember him, me and him talking, and he he used the move during one of the first scrimmages of fall camp, and you know it, it made a big play. And so I think that's helping him. He, he's acting like a sponge right now, which always helps. And they, I mean, depending on what happens with Bryson Wilson, Williams, I should say, that's going to be an interesting thing just because he wasn't on the injury report, preliminary injury report on, on that Monday before the Central Michigan game last week. He was on there for Thursday. So we'll see what, you know, and Paul Chris mentioned that 
Uh, it was still kind of too early, essentially, to know if he'd be ready for Michigan. So Benton may be thrusted into Big Ten action early, but so far in non-conference work, you've, you've seen the flashes of getting to the passer and, and holding up against the run and getting a tackle for loss. So uh, all good for the Janesville Craig uh, product right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to be, you know, as he develops, he'll be a really strong uh candidate but he might be you know thrown to the fire a little early but I, I think he's got the presence and you know he plays a lot older than his class status uh says and hopefully he can uh keep, keep it rolling if he gets thrust into that role um switching gears a little bit how about a certain position group jake is any any certain one stood out to you that has improved um from last year over to this year do we say quarterback does that, does that um <laughs> i mean I think it's either that or wide receiver, in my opinion, uh, if you're looking offensively. Defensively, I'd say defensive line. Uh, and just because of you know the way that you're seeing the pressure being put on, I think the presence of Garrett Rand and Isaiah Loudermilk and, and the depth of Henningsen, too, and even with the nose tackles, even though Williams was out, you, we just talked about Benton. But you know, offensively, I think it's that, you know, with quarterback, when you have a quarterback that can throw – has the arm strength for those deep outs, can hit a long pass. You saw what happened with Quintez Cephas. And, and all and just, like I said, being accurate and, and putting the ball in the place where the receiver can make a play. Uh, he, Jack Cohn, has taken large steps uh, forward. And then behind him, you know, you saw what Graham Mertz did. It's only one drive. It's his first snap. He, I mean, his first snap, he almost tripped and he fell, he, he admitted, after the game. But you know, you see the talent there. You see what Chase Wolf can do in terms of leading the drive too. I think that's the position group that's that's improved the most, and that that could be the most critical, just because you, you saw just what not having an experienced quarterback did last year, and now you see what Jack Cohn's done with his confidence. And 76% completion percentage is nothing to to scoff at. And then on top of that, you know, he's already eclipsed his passing yards for you know 29 from what he had in 2018, and he hasn't turned the ball over. So, uh, again, it, it's still early on. We'll see what Michigan throws at him. But I think the most improved position group right now is quarterback just because you've seen the results and you're seeing this offensive balance that could take Wisconsin to that next level uh, that we have not seen since, you know, a balance since maybe 2000, what, 2011 with Russell Wilson. Now he's not Russell Wilson, but if you have that offensive balance where you're throwing – teams off with either the running game, pick your poison, either stop Jonathan Taylor or you're going to have three to four wide receivers and a tight end that's an all-conference caliber player uh, in the receiving game. You know, who are you going to stop? And I think that could be really pivotal for Wisconsin, and I think it's changed a lot of people's minds of what this team could be, and it starts with the signal caller. I would absolutely agree. Matt, what do you think? Which group has uh, stood out to you so far? I'm with Jake. You know, we had the chance to kind of watch him fall camp, and, you know, you saw uh, Jack Cohn look look at times okay last year, specifically the Purdue game, um, where he threw those two touchdowns late to kind of help them get back into it and then let Jonathan Taylor run wild late in the game. But, I mean, he's a totally different player this year, and you can kind of tell in just his demeanor. I know his dad, who's an avid listener, will love, uh, love to hear that. Um, but I know he – I mean – Against Miami, he threw the ball 11 times and was about 50% passing. You know, then to jump forward uh, just a few games later, he's going ahead and throwing for 363 yards and 78% passing. I mean, that is 
huge leaps and bounds compared to when we first saw him in that game where he was just thrust into Northwestern, you know, uh, fumbling snaps and losing the ball. And, you know, so he just looks like a completely different quarterback. And, you know, I mean, last year the team threw for 58% of their passes. That That is not going to get it done, whereas now you're seeing a guy kind of just be in control. He kind of has that Scott Tolzien look to him where, you know, he can hit the deep ball, but at the same time, those intermediate chunk plays, he can hit really well. He's accurate. He's making smart decisions um, without throwing an interception. I think the quarterback position is is just leaps and bounds better than what it was last year. And then on defense, I agree, the D-line, I mean, they're, they're stopping the run. All the players, when we talked to them, they wanted to get said that the defense needed to get stronger, especially against the run game. And I think that they've done that uh, along the defensive line. Um, and I, I hope that they can keep that going because I know that that was something that they continue to, to talk about and preach that they need to uh, hold up against the, the run better. Absolutely. Yeah, I think those are all all good answers and will be important uh, as the Badgers get going. Um, obviously a bye week. Jake, one last question. I know I didn't put it in the in the notes before, but uh, with a bye week, what's what's the most important thing that this group can accomplish in this in this week off heading into Michigan? I think it goes back to rest. You know, you have they were without three four starters, Logan Bruss, and then three on the defense with Williams, and then Isaiah Green May at outside linebacker, and of course Nelson too. So, uh, and of course Nelson's out for the entire year. So, getting those the other guys healthy, we'll see what happens with Kendrick Pryor. He was ruled out during the game with an upper body injury, and we didn't know it. We didn't get any updates on that. Just, I think it's a good way for the the team to one get acclimated to the school, just get back into the school schedule, two rest up, uh, and and think three two it helps them prepare. For, for Michigan where, you know, you know, I was talking to someone on our message board for Badger Blitz and they're like, why would the bye week help Michigan? I go, well, it's the same thing that can help Wisconsin where guys can, if there's some troubles, those, sometimes the switch just turns on after some, you know, practices, a light practice during the week of, of the bye or you just need to digest more of the information and things may click more. So, um, I, but I think it goes back really for Wisconsin, just making sure they're healthy bodies and just ensuring that, you know, they get them on the rest and they can get ready and gear up for Big Ten play because, you know, besides Kent State in a few weeks, you know, this is a stretch where I think that was a five or six straight games. You you know, right now they after Central Michigan, they have Michigan, and then they got Northwestern, Kent State, and then I think it was Michigan State, and then they, they head on the road to Illinois and Ohio State. So, um Conference plays heating up besides that Kent State matchup, and that one might be interesting too, just because of the fact that uh, Sean Lewis, a former Wisconsin tight end, um, yeah, and former teammate, I believe, of Jim Leonard, for that matter, uh, runs a Dino Baber style offense at Kent State. He came from you know Eastern Illinois, Bowling Green, Syracuse, where Babers was head coach, and they it's it's a spread out, and that's going to be an interesting matchup to see if Wisconsin can hold up against that type of tempo, which they have so far in non-conference play, but. Uh, again, um, these games, you know, this is good for them to rest up this week, get ready, get prepared, get acclimated to school, and then just go and, and go with just what the season brings. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you know, going to be really beneficial for them because, like you said, it, it's time to, out of the bye week, it, it's it's go time. I mean, Big Ten play and, you know, a, a tough non-conference, uh, tricky non-conference game in between that. So, um It'll be time to, you know, buckle the chin straps and get into Big Ten football. So 
that's all I really have. Uh, Jake, we really appreciate uh, you joining us, and uh, good luck with your uh, yard work this weekend. Hopefully you can uh, get all that accomplished. <laughs> no, again, appreciate you guys having me on. It's good being back. Uh, tell Drew Spotted Cow still rules, and I said it on the <laughs> podcast. In your face, the ham. Uh, and that, I was, was going to say ham, and I was like, no, it's ham. So I screwed that up. So in your face, ham. Um, but uh, him and I already have plans when that Guy Fieri restaurant starts up uh, up in Minneapolis at the Mall of America, that after the Wisconsin-Minnesota game. That's where we're going for dinner after all the post-game coverage. So I'm excited for, for some flavor town. Uh, but Ooh, no, it's, very yeah. nice. But it's always good to see, to, one, see you guys, uh, and then two, and talk to you guys, but uh, also just, you know, Bucky Smith Court is where I started. So, uh, guys, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Uh, keep rocking out this podcast, and uh, I know I'll be listening. Awesome. Awesome, Jake. We appreciate it. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Um, we'll wrap it up here quick um, because we've got uh, Jake on the line. But uh, next week we're hoping to get some guys from uh, Maze and Brew onto the podcast. Uh, so make sure you guys subscribe and uh review and rate us if you're going to rate us five stars if you're going to rate us anything less i mean you can just hold on to that um but uh again jake thanks for joining us and uh make sure you listen next week for that and uh on wisconsin